Well, what an interesting question and a challenge. At least, I, it, I feel it's a challenge to me to gather my thoughts around a topic I should know. Well, a topic I definitely have all views on. So I'll definitely be getting into it. I, I'm not going to just try and launch into it as as I'm driving the car through traffic. But the difference between the Irish and the Scots. Right, I'm now going to think about what are the similarities between the Irish and the Scots as well. Oh, yes, yes. Cool. This is a big question. I look forward to this. Yes, thank you very much. I'll be back to you. I think I hit on something rather poignant. <clears throat> you know, we talk a lot about this paradigm shift, a change. And I haven't really heard any argument to the contrary. In other words, I haven't heard anyone say there is no such thing as a paradigm or a paradigm shift. So I pose to you this. There are probably, perhaps let's say two ways this paradigm shift is Going, is going to happen or is happening. It's, it can happen peacefully 
or it can happen otherwise. Now I'm gonna go out on a limb here, but I'm going to also assume that we all would like a peaceful paradigm shift. Now this is worth pointing out because typically that's not how paradigm shifts go. And maybe we're all just dreamers, but I'm not the only one. <laughs> but I think we can do this peacefully. But it's not gonna happen if we drag in the same old bullshit. It's the bullshit that creates the loopholes for the corruption and the dishonesty and the theft. And currently the biggest battle is fighting intellectual dishonesty. So again, let me reiterate, we can do this peacefully or we can do it otherwise. Now, typically these paradigm shifts uh, accompany great wars and major advances in technology and science. You know, I'm noticing a lot of the sheep are really just wolves in disguise. So how does one catch oneself from being intellectually dishonest? Well, if you don't allow your ideas to be challenged, there's a good chance that you're being intellectually dishonest. If your ideas are challenged and all you can do is repeat the same thing like a mantra, then you're probably being intellectually dishonest. Again, contrary to the secret, saying something over and over again doesn't actually make it true or even make it happen. The Law of Attraction was written in 1910 by a shyster. If you've read the other two books the guy wrote, you would understand what I'm saying. Listen, folks, reality is mind-blowingly awesome. Don't allow the bullshit to pollute the drinking water. Making a practice out of paying attention and then calling it mindfulness is obviously intellectually ingenuous. Thanks for listening. I'd like to hear what you think about this topic. Integrity Radio. Okay, so let me get this straight. Mindfulness is not about proving that there is actually a mind. Repackaging situational awareness as mindfulness is intellectually disingenuous. All right, I'll tell you what. You tell me, what are the alternatives to paying attention and learning? I mean, we only have so much time here on this wonderful planet of ours. Tell me, what, what are the alternatives to paying attention and learning? It's intellectual dishonesty, and we, as a species deserve better. Thanks, Patrick. I did a segment sometime back on proof. But I think this segment that I'm about to do is going to be a little different because, you know, I think that we have an issue where people don't really care about proof. I mean, you can just make claims and no proof is needed or very little proof is needed. Little to no proof is needed. And of course, this is all fine and dandy until you are accused of something that you didn't do. 
and you therefore need to come up with proof. But then what good is proof? Because no one really cares about proof. And you can't make intelligent decisions unless, of course, you uh, can provide proof to the things that you believe. And now I'm using the word belief more in the way of the word understanding. If you claim to understand something, then prove it. And proving something isn't a matter of just spouting out the information that you know about it, or rather spouting out information that you've accumulated. No, no, no. It's about being able to put it in your own words. It's about being able to make claims that are not falsifiable. Proof is not about philosophizing your cognitive dissonance under the carpet. Proof is a requirement unless you want to throw it all to belief and faith. And look where faith and belief has gotten us thus far. It's only understanding through proof that allows us to progress and to attain happiness. Anything else is short-lived deception. And Patrick, I apologize for uh, stopping and starting, but I really do try to, you know, pick the correct words um, for these things because I think that the right words are, are important. You know, I imagine it's hard for me to get these, these thoughts and ideas out but, but I do. I, I feel at the end of it all, I listen to them and the idea does get out. But I can only imagine um, that the difficulty has to be at least equal or greater to listen to <laughs> and to try to comprehend. So I thank you, my dear listener, so much. Integrity Radio. Yes, it takes me many pauses and stops and goes in order to complete... Uh, a, a complete thought to have a complete thought captured um, that's one of the things I love about Anchor right and we are the most complex organism known in the universe and things are complex enough that we need to simplify as much as we can so I'm posing that instead of using this whole concept of mindfulness just to go ahead and pay more attention. I mean, and, and, and continue on. We don't need this complexity. Now, if someone can convince me otherwise, I'm open arms. All right, take care, Patrick. I'll talk to you later. Okay, Seeking Plum. First things first. I don't know you, you don't know me. Therefore, nothing personal, absolutely not. Now, from listening to your voice, you sound like you have a much higher IQ than myself. However, intelligent people don't intimidate me. In fact, I'm inspired when I hear an intelligent person talk. Now, I'm just sharing this so you understand, get an idea of how I feel about you personally. And really what I'm doing is taking a topic that you are talking about and sort of extrapolating from it. So again, there really isn't anything um, personal here. However, I don't think it's going to help because what I'm about to say probably will be taken personal.
And that's usually because intelligent people um, pride themselves on their intelligence, as they should. But I think the lesson for the intelligent folk is that intelligence isn't everything. Just because you're smarter doesn't mean that you are righter. <laughs> it just means that you have the capacity to be more right. Doesn't mean that you're exercising that capacity. Okay, so the post that you just left and that I'm echoing, uh, if you're not on Anchor, you're not going to hear this. But you used a lot of words and very good speech and and everything to essentially go, no, you say that um, what I'm saying isn't accurate, but then no proof, no nothing, just a, uh-uh. And then you mention a study, but that study in itself wouldn't even be conclusive. But okay, you mentioned a study, then link to the study. What study do you speak of? Was it a study conducted by mindfulness practitioners and motivational speakers? Anyone can do a study. So this is the problem. Again, you make claims. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about people in general. They make these claims, but no proof. And uh, nobody holds people to proof. That's silly. Listen, if we can't communicate to each other and scrutinize and, and sort of throw things back and forth and what the hell else are we supposed to do? I mean, how else are we supposed to communicate? Are we just all supposed to go, oh, good boy. Oh, what a good girl. Oh, what a good boy. Oh, what a good girl. Come on. We're adults. Let's, let's break it down. Let's figure stuff out. Let's wear big boy clothes. And don't you dare try to say that I'm closed-minded. I'm just saying, don't, don't dare. <laughs> I'm very open-minded, just not so open-minded that the brain falls out. And yes, you can use the term mind in the vernacular in passing, but if you're actually going to try to do some work, try to explain something, then the term mind is useless. It's brain function. It's part of the body. They're not separate. That's the problem. Again, refer to neuroscience and cognitive psychology. And just because you got through school and got your degree or you figured out what works for you doesn't really mean you figured anything out. Figuring stuff out is a day-to-day -day thing where you have to observe and, and carefully observe. And that's not even a, an easy thing to do every day. I'm going to ask this. If you're not willing to provide proof, then why even make the claim? So in closing, brainfulness, <laughs> that's what I like to call it, is not the same as mindfulness. There is no mind, and it's just a brain, and you're rather using it to its potential or you're not. And using it to your potential just requires you thinking and requiring proof. And the reason I am not afraid of offending anyone is because the people that I'm talking about have not taken that precaution with me. And when people with perfectly intelligent brains start spouting nonsense, we should all be holding their words to scrutiny. The abstraction of common sense should come from logic and reason. 
Integrity Radio. And now for a Wikipedia reading of Combining Neuroscience and Cognitive Science. Before the 1980s, interaction between neuroscience and cognitive science was scarce. Cognitive neuroscience began to integrate the newly laid theoretical ground in cognitive science that emerged between the 1950s and 60s, which, with approaches in experimental psychology, neuropsychology, and neuroscience. Neuroscience was not established as a unified discipline until 1971. In the very late 20th century, new technologies evolved that are now the mainstay of the methodology of cognitive neuroscience, including TMS in 1985 and fMRI in 1991. Earlier methods used in cognitive neuroscience includes EEG and MEG, 1920 and 1968, respectively. Occasionally, cognitive neuroscientists utilize other brain imaging methods, such as PET and SPECT. An upcoming technique in neuroscience is NIRS, which uses light absorption to calculate changes in oxy and deoxyhemoglobin in cortical areas. In some animals, single-unit recording can be used. Other methods include micro-neurography, facial EMG, and eye tracking. Integrative neuroscience attempts to consolidate data in databases and form unified descriptive methods from various fields and scales, biology, psychology, anatomy, and clinical practice. In 2014, Stanislas Dihane, Giacomo Rizzolatti, and Trevor Robbins were awarded the Brain Prize for their pioneering research on higher brain mechanisms, underpinning such complex human fact functions as literacy, numeracy, motivated behavior, and social cognition and for their efforts to understand cognitive and behavioral disorders. Brenda Milner, Marcus Rachel, and John O'Keefe received the Kavli Prize in Neuroscience for the discovery of specialized brain networks for memory and cognition. And O'Keefe shared the Nobel Prize in Psychology or Physiology or Medicine in the same year with May Britt Moser and Edward Moser for their discoveries of cells that constitute a positioning system in the brain. In 2017, Wolfram Schultz, Peter Dayen, and Ray Dolan were awarded the Brain Prize for their multidisciplinary analysis of brain mechanisms that link learning to reward which has, had, which has far-reaching implications for the understanding of human behavior, including disorders of decision-making in conditions such as gambling, drug addiction, compulsive behavior, and schizophrenia. So there you have it, folks. If you're interested in improving the human condition, then this is the path that 
continues to lead upwards. It's quite obvious that there was a split in the road in the 1980s when it came to cognitive psychology and neuroscience. Hey, Patrick Z here. I don't mean to insult your listeners, first and foremost. Come on, let's not be so fragile. Seeking Plum's proof of the efficacy of the mindfulness practice was nuh-uh. Come on, for all intents and purposes, all those words led up to nuh-uh. There was a study done. Now, she sounded much smarter than me, of course, but that's what it boils down to. And the second caller, Make Every Day, his proof was that a guy wrote a book about it in English. I don't know, maybe it's all that time I spent in New Jersey that uh, has created the brass person that I am, I don't know. Shallow situational awareness. (laughs) That's absurd. I don't know what that means. That's absurd. When we think about mind, when we talk about mind, the starting point really is Libet's experiment from, I believe, what, 1985, something around there. Uh Yeah. And it starts there. I mean, that's not where it ends. That's where it starts. And Libet's experiment was in relationship to are we the thinker of our thoughts, you know? Right. And um, so the findings were quite profound. It's what annoyed me most about my uh, communiques with... um, the great everything because he just kind of wanted to throw Labette's experiment um, out the window yeah, out the window and say wow it wasn't um, replicatable in fact it was replicatable and so uh, he never replied to that issue mm-hmm. either um, but Labette's free will experiment really does mark the beginning of modern day neuroscience Yes. Yeah. Now, the thing that scientists aren't doing that I'm doing, because I'm not a scientist, is I'm just making a somewhat educated guess that there is no mind. You're not going to find a scientist trying to run experiments to prove a negative. Yeah, it's like running an experiment to, to prove there's no God. Right. It's it's a a mystical word that we use to describe what we don't know. It's it's the activities in our brain that we don't quite understand yet that is summed up by the word mind. I like what you said at dinner, which is mind is an outdated word. It is. It's an outdated word. Yeah. And that's the best way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> hey, for those that have not or or you know don't understand or have never heard of the Libet's experiment, I think we should post a segment on the Libet's experiment. Oh, definitely. And that would be a good starting point. It doesn't end there. Again, it starts there. All right, thanks for listening. Put your hand in front of you and flex your wrist. You presumably first had a thought. Flex my wrist. That then caused your wrist to move. That's how it seems. But Benjamin Libet's experiments in the 1980s have cast some doubt on that. In his neuroscience lab, he wired up subjects to an EEG machine measuring brain activity via electrodes on their scalps 
and then asked them to choose to perform a simple hand movement when they felt like it. He also got them to record the time at which they made a conscious decision to move their hands. Disconcertingly, he found evidence of brain activity initiating the movement hundreds of milliseconds before the conscious decision was reported. In other words, his experiments seemed to show that the conscious decision didn't cause the movement. The brain activity bringing about movement started before the individual willed anything to happen. Some people think this is proof that free will is an illusion, that our conscious decisions are more like reports on what is already happening than the causes of our action. Libet didn't go that far. He thought that we might not have free will, but there's still time for what some have called free won't, a conscious veto of an action that is started in the brain. Others are more skeptical about the implications of these experiments. They point out difficulties of recording the time of a subjective decision to move and question whether Libet's findings could apply to more complex conscious decisions based on reasons, such as the decision to reject the claim that Libet's experiments undermine our idea of free will. You know, yeah, we're all in, in different life situations, and that's why it's so important to share our stories so that we can be compassionate for each other and be out there to support each other. To figure out what your emotional triggers are, and to be able to overcome them and work through them and realize when it's happening to you, that is very empowering. We all have to be responsible for ourselves. We have to be responsible for our own emotional triggers. So many of us find it so hard to do. It's something we need to work on and something that is so worth working on. I think it's, it's nice to be nice, but yes, absolutely, in the end, we are all responsible for ourselves. Z from Integrity Radio. It can be a little bit frustrating. You're looking for that exchange. And when somebody doesn't give you that exchange or is incapable of, of exchanging with you, I can be a little bit of a pisser, you know, especially when the subject matter is meaty. I can be a little bit of a pisser. I can be a little bit of a pisser. And you want to get into it, you know? And someone just doesn't, doesn't kind of push back a little bit. You know, it just ruins the whole, the whole dynamic of it, you know?
there's benefit in the disagreement too, you know? So, I get it. So, I get it. Here's an interesting idea. A site on how to be a good snake oil salesman. You know, the modern day snake oil salesman. They stand out like sore thumbs. I mean, once you know, it's they're easy to, to spot. And you yourself may inadvertently be a modern day snake oil salesman. Kind of reminds me of when I joined Amway and didn't realize it was a pyramid scheme. Yeah, the modern day snake oil salesman sends to make a relationship or create a relationship between what they're selling, be it a book or an idea, um, and relate it to astrophysics or quantum physics. Or they'll relate it to neuroscience. You know, and these fields are all so new that, um, you know, it's easy to do. Yeah, I mean, imagine all the failed physicists and all the failed neuroscientists out there that uh, decided to just jump on board of the bullshit wagon. In a lot of cases, the these people don't even have degrees or education in the uh, disciplines that they're making the connection with. Yeah, it's almost in every field, like <clears throat> people in the fitness industry um, passing off what they do as being related to health or physical therapy. And suspiciously, these people seem to not actually charge as much money for their services and their poorly written books flood the marketplace. Yes, there are more bullshit books out there on astrophysics, quantum physics, uh, quantum mechanics, and neuroscience than there are real books of, on, on the topic. If you think about it, it makes sense. Not to mention the Ted Ted Templeton Group, uh, which will throw lots of money to any scientist researcher out there that will prove, not disprove, but prove any slight resemblance of uh, God, the multiverse, and the God particle, or examples of this. It's supposed to be the goddamn particle, but never mind, that's, that's history, right? Where there is a short attention span, where there is poverty, where there is lack of resources, there will always be a snake oil salesman ready to take your hard-earned cash. And they'll be happy to deceive you and themselves. The only difference is they get paid at the end of the day. Okay, I'm going to play a segment from George Carlin. And before I do, I want to explain what the definition of a euphemism is. Uh, 
The euphemism is a mild or indirect word or expression substituted for one considered to be too harsh or blunt when re referring to something unpleasant or embarrassing. So what George is going to outline here for us is the dangers of euphemisms. It's worse with every generation. For some reason, it just keeps getting worse. I'll give you an example of that. There's a condition in combat. Most people know about it. It's when a fighting person's nervous system has been stressed to its absolute peak and maximum, can't take any more input. The nervous system has either snapped or is about to snap. In the First World War, that condition was called shell shock. Simple, honest, direct language. Two syllables. Shell shock. Almost sounds like the guns themselves. That was 70 years ago. Then a whole generation went by, and the Second World War came along, and we, the very same combat condition was called battle fatigue. Four syllables now. Takes a little longer to say. Doesn't seem to hurt as much. Fatigue is a nicer word than shock. Shell shock. Battle fatigue. <laughs> then we had the war in Korea, 1950. Madison Avenue was riding high by that time. And the very same combat condition was called operational exhaustion. <laughs> hey, we're up to eight syllables now. And the humanity has been squeezed completely out of the phrase. It's totally sterile now. Operational exhaustion. Sounds like something that might happen to your car. <laughs> then, of course, came the war in Vietnam, which has only been over for about 16 or 17 years. And thanks to the lies and deceit surrounding that war, I guess it's no surprise that the very same condition was called post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> Still eight syllables, but we've added a hyphen. And the pain is completely buried under jargon. Post-traumatic stress disorder. I'll bet you if we'd have still been calling it shell shock, some of those Vietnam veterans might have gotten the attention they needed at the time. I'll bet you that. I'll bet you that. Yeah. But... But it didn't happen. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons is because we were using that soft language, that language that takes the life out of life. And it is a function of time. It does keep getting worse. I'll give you another example. Sometime during my life, sometime during my life, toilet paper became bathroom tissue. I wasn't notified of this. No one asked me if I agreed with it. It just happened. Toilet paper became bathroom tissue. Sneakers became running shoes. False teeth became dental appliances. Medicine became medication. Information became directory assistance. The dump became the landfill. Car crashes became automobile accidents. Partly cloudy became partly sunny. Motels became motor lodges. House trailers became mobile homes. Used cars became previously owned transportation. <laughs> room service became guest room dining. And constipation became occasional irregularity. <laughs> when I was a little kid, if I got sick, they wanted me to go to the hospital and see the doctor. Now they want me to go to a health maintenance organization. 
or a wellness center to consult a health care delivery professional. Poor people used to live in slums. Now the economically disadvantaged occupy substandard housing in the inner cities. And they're broke. They're broke. They don't have a negative cash flow position. They're fucking broke. Because a lot of them were fired. You know, fired, management wanted to curtail redundancies in the human resources area. So many people are no longer viable members of the workforce. Smug, greedy, well-fed white people have invented a language to conceal their sins. It's as simple as that. The CIA doesn't kill anybody anymore. They neutralize people. Or they depopulate the area. The government doesn't lie and engages in disinformation. The Pentagon actually measures nuclear radiation in something they call sunshine units. Israeli murderers are called commandos. Arab commandos are called terrorists. Contra killers are called freedom fighters. Well, if crime fighters fight crime and firefighters fight fire, what do freedom fighters fight? They never mention that part of it to us, do they? Never mention that part of it. And some of this stuff is just silly. We know, we all know that. Like on the airlines, they say they want a pre-board. Well, what the hell is pre-board? What does that mean? To get on before you get on? They say they're going to pre-board those passengers in need of special assistance. Cripples! Simple, honest, direct language. There's no shame attached to the word cripple that I can find in any dictionary. No shame attached to it. In fact, it's a word used in Bible translations. Jesus healed the cripples. Doesn't take seven words to describe that condition. But we don't have any cripples in this country anymore. We have the physically challenged. Is that a grotesque enough evasion for you? How about differently abled? I've heard them call that differently abled. You can't even call these people handicapped anymore. They'll say, we're not handicapped, we're handicapable. <laughs> these poor people have been bullshitted by the system into believing that if you change the name of the condition, somehow you'll change the condition. Well, hey, cousin, doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. We have no more deaf people in this country, hearing impaired. No one's blind anymore, partially sighted or visually impaired. We have no more stupid people. Everybody has a learning disorder. <laughs> or he's minimally exceptional. How would you like to be told that about your child? He's minimally exceptional. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> Psychologists actually have started calling ugly people those with severe appearance deficits. It's getting so bad that any day now I expect to hear a rape victim referred to as an unwilling sperm recipient. And we have no more old people in this country. No more old people. We shipped them all away and we brought in these Senior citizens. Isn't that a typically American 20th century phrase? Bloodless, lifeless. No pulse in one of them. A senior citizen. 
But I've accepted that one. I've come to terms with it. I know it's here to stay. We'll never get rid of it. That's what they're going to be called, so I'll relax on that. But the one I do resist, the one I keep resisting, is when they look at an old guy and they'll say, Look at him, Dan. He's 90 years young. <laughs> Imagine the fear of aging that reveals. To not even be able to use the word old to describe someone. To have to use an antonym. And fear of aging is natural, it's universal, isn't it? We all have that. No one wants to get old, no one wants to die, but we do. So we bullshit ourselves. <laughs> I started bullshitting myself when I got to my 40s. As soon as I was in my 40s, I'd look in the mirror and I'd say, Well, I, I guess I'm getting older. <laughs> older sounds a little better than old, doesn't it? Sounds like it might even last a little longer. Bullshit, I'm getting old. And it's okay, because thanks to our fear of death in this country, I won't have to die. I'll pass away. <laughs> or I'll expire like a magazine subscription. <laughs> if it happens in the hospital, they'll call it a terminal episode. The insurance company will refer to it as negative patient care outcome. And if it's the result of malpractice, they'll say it was a therapeutic misadventure. I'm telling you, some of this language makes me want to vomit. Well, maybe not vomit. Makes me want to engage in an involuntary personal protein spill. The distancing of ourselves from truth and reality through language is a very telling thing. Hey Patrick and Z, 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 Z. To say that one is the repackaging of the other and that that is intellectually disingenuous, I don't think is quite accurate. Euphemistic language is a very And the way we rename everything to make ourselves feel better, to make other people feel better, to take the sting out of something, to take the curse off of something. When they've done brain scans of people who have done mindfulness, they found that they had more gray matter in the frontal cortex, which is associated with working memory and executive decision making. It says a lot about how we try to insulate ourselves from things that need fixing. So to take the next step, yeah, mindfulness can help us in learning. It changes physically the brain. The distancing of ourselves from truth and reality through language is a very telling thing. My understanding of what situational awareness is, it does not do that. And as far as I understand, there haven't been studies to prove that it does that. It feels terribly fake and artificial. Ugly, uh, unpleasant, unattractive. The distancing of ourselves from truth and reality through language is a very telling thing.